Good morning, Elgin Community Church. It is great to be with you today. I'm grateful for the work that Chema has done so that I can actually see some of you right now. So that is great. And it's been a, a real pleasure to have already spent some time with Bishop Derek and Miss Gabby and also with members of the church council. And I hear many good things about the family at Elgin Community Church. So it is great to be here with you this morning. Now, I wonder, those of you who are with us today, how many of you are really good at physical directions? I have to admit that that is certainly a challenge for me, knowing how to get places. And a lot of times I have to go somewhere many, many times before, before I can get there again without any help. And it hasn't been that many years ago that we had to use maps. Some of you may remember that. Some of you are probably way too young, but where I would where I would try to go somewhere and I would have these big paper maps and driving and trying to figure out where to go. Thankfully, someone invented GPS and I am listening to that voice on the GPS get me to places. And I'm one of those people that can possibly get possibly get lost in a roundabout. So I really enjoy having some really good directions. And so this morning, I want us to spend a little bit of time thinking about the direction that we are going, and especially maybe even who we're following. And we're going to be looking into Matthew chapter 9 at the beginning. And so if you have your scripture in front of you, we'll look at Matthew chapter 9 verses 9 through 13 as we begin. And it reads in in verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat? with tax collectors and sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now we're going to focus more on the beginning of those verses in verse nine. Now, if you really want to get a good idea about what's going on in scripture, One good practice is to read the chapter before and the chapter that follows. In Matthew chapter 8, we see that Jesus heals a man with leprosy. He calms a stormy sea. He delivers two demon-possessed men. He sends demons into some pigs that proceed to run off the edge of a cliff to their death. And instead of being excited about these men who had just been delivered from demons, the people of the town were afraid, and they actually asked Jesus to leave the area. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus enters a boat, goes to Capernaum. He heals a paralyzed man, and as he is walking through the streets, he sees Matthew, the tax collector. Now, in this time period, the Romans appointed people to collect taxes from citizens, Matthew was a Jewish man 
who was appointed to collect taxes from his fellow Jews. Tax collectors were expected to take a commission from the taxes, and many of them collected more money from the people that was necessary. They weren't only just supporting Rome, but they were likely stealing from their fellow Jews. Nonetheless, this Jewish tax collector, who was hated by his own people, was chosen to be a disciple by Jesus. So tax collectors, unpopular people, they had a reputation for collecting more than was owed and pocketing the excess. Now, one version of scripture actually calls tax collectors scum. That's not really a way that we'd want to be known. They were known to be liars, cheaters, manipulators, and thieves. They were thought to be the lowest of the low, which of course is the exact opposite of Jesus. But then Jesus walks by. He sees Matthew, the tax collector, the lowest of the low. Without judging, without explanation, Jesus simply said to Matthew, follow me. He didn't hold an interview. He didn't ask for a list of references. He didn't ask for his prior job history. And he didn't lecture him or rebuke him on cheating people. He simply looked at Matthew in the eye and said those two life-changing words, follow me. And notice Matthew's response. As soon as he heard these words, he did what Jesus commanded. He left the tax collector's booth and he followed the Savior. Now, when Matthew chose to do this, he became something new. Let's read about the same account from the book of Luke. Luke 32, 29 says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. Now, did you catch that? Not one mention of the name Matthew happened in that account. Only the name Levi is mentioned. All the other Gospels refer to Matthew as Levi, but when Matthew wrote his account, he refers to himself as Matthew. And why is that important? Levi means joined, which could still be a good meaning, but the name Matthew means gift of Yahweh or gift of God. So this leads us to believe that people in this time were still calling him Levi. I'm sure that people in the town, that's how they knew him. And so they still thought of him as the tax collector. But this was his old identity. This was who he was before he had an encounter with Jesus. But God gave him a new name, a new gift, a new identity, and a new calling. When all of the other townspeople and disciples would call him by his old name, I think he might have said, uh, hold up, allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Matthew, and I'm called by God. 
I'm chosen. I'm a new creation. Matthew is one of those people that reminds us that God can and will use anyone for his kingdom and his glory, no matter the circumstances, no matter the person's past, no matter the current situation, no matter the current status, God can use anyone. All he needs is our yes. There is a cost. When we decide to follow Jesus, there is a cost. One of the things that we have to do when we decide to follow Christ is we need to remove some distractions. Following Jesus requires that we give up anything that that distracts us or anything that we might tend to trust in more than we trust in God. The cost of following Jesus can require everything that I have and all of my trust. And in reality, think about it. What do we have that God hasn't really given us? Didn't he make us? Didn't he give us all of the good things that we enjoy? If I remember that Christ gave me my life and I give it back to him, the exchange will be that he'll give me a better life and an eternal life when I pass on from this life. Jesus offers us freedom from meaningless existence that I hang on to when I say mine, mine, because it's an illusion. We need to give up the illusion for real life. (laughs) Jesus is not going to chase me down or demand that I give up my worship of these earthly things. I must give up my life willingly and completely. So if we are following Jesus, it really goes beyond using our common sense or the wisdom of man. Many religious groups function and stand upon the wisdom of men. And as a disciple and follower of Jesus, I've got to go beyond human wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 16. I want to read these verses here. Paul is saying, and I when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to stop there just a moment before we continue reading those. I met with a a friend of mine who we meet every Saturday morning, early Saturday mornings, and he is a, a believer that I've known for a long time. And we talked about this verse yesterday because someone that he works with had come to him with a, you know, a different view of something from the scripture. And it had really troubled my friend. And, but it was something that as I looked at it, as I heard him talk to me, I thought, you know, it's really what this man is telling you, even though he is very excited about it and very zealous about it. To me, it's a distraction. We preach Christ and Christ crucified. And that is the main point. There are so many other things that can get us distracted, even from people who are very zealous about serving God. We need to make sure that our focus is on the right thing. 
Now, Paul continues. He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. We impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us. One of these verses are important is it goes back to the whole not thinking of things just in human terms. If we try to understand God, if we try to follow God even with just our own human reasoning and our own understanding, it's not going to be enough. Verse 13 says, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand them who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. When Christ tells us, ask us to follow him, we don't have to do it with our own understanding. In fact, if we're following Christ, we need to do it through a position of faith. And the Holy Spirit, in his loving kindness, he guides us in the way. He shows us which way to go. Now, the early church and the early church fathers, they understood this message. In contrast to today's pop culture, and counterfeit Christianity. We make blends of Christ. We want to put Jesus and acceptable and even desirable. But we can't, in our human way, we can't really put Jesus and something else. And let me explain what I mean. Instead of discussing this, Christ and human rights, Christ and helping the poor, Christ and politics. When we follow Christ, we live in such a way that all of those other things will will come naturally out of our desire to follow Christ. Who I am and how I serve should come distinctly and clearly from my relationship with Christ. And not being blended with uh, humanistic or political goals driven by my own focus. If I'm enamored 
by a blended faith, perhaps I should really consider the cost of following Jesus. When we blend our faith, Christ and something else, it really becomes about me. It becomes about what I think and what I think is right. I believe that's why we see so much confusion, even among believers today, who uh, who have their strong opinions about which social justice we should be a part of. And as believers, should we be involved in social justice? I believe absolutely so. But what are we basing that on? Our relationship with Christ should be so much that everything that that we think every action that we have comes from that relationship because Jesus, when he tells us to follow him, he's the one that gives us more power, more wisdom, more discernment, and more strength to serve others in the greatest and the best possible ways. First Samuel 16, seven reminds us that the Lord doesn't look at the things the way that we look at things. People look on the outward appearance, but God looks at our hearts. As I said, Jesus didn't have to interview Matthew or any of the other disciples for that matter. He saw their hearts and he knew who they could be. One of my favorite quotes that I've heard over the years, I don't even know where I heard it from first, is that God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. Matthew was called. Despite his career choice and his reputation, he was called and he had a purpose. So how does that relate to us? It relates to us because God can and will use anyone for his kingdom purposes. And that includes you and me. It doesn't matter about your title, your profession your financial status, what others say about you, or even what you think about yourself. The enemy wants to constantly remind you and me of the junk in our past and to convince us that we're not even qualified to serve the king. But know this, the devil is a liar. He is the father of lies. So today. In Jesus' name, I rebuke those negative words of discouragement that have been spoken against you. I rebuke those things that have been spoken over your past and even over your future. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that the plans that God has in store for us are good plans, plans to give us hope, plans to give us a good future. God has good plans for you despite your bad choices. Despite your sinful past, God has good plans for you, no matter your color of your skin, the strength of your bank account, where you were born or where you live now. God just wants your yes. So if God is calling us, if he's saying, follow me, then really what are we called to do? I want us to look at a couple of things here. Jesus answers this question for us shortly after his resurrection as he addressed his disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, 
verses 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So if we go back to verse 19, we clearly hear from Jesus what we are commissioned or called to do. Go and make disciples. Now, this may look different from one person to the next, but every believer, every believer is called to go and make disciples. So you may be called to make disciples in your own town. I have a friend in Dalton, Georgia, here in Northwest Georgia, who spends his days every week pouring himself into individuals through individual contact, through small groups, all for the sake of the gospel. He is committed to raising up mature believers in Christ who will in turn train up others and will keep the process going. Some people are going to go to their own country. I have a friend who lives in India. He's one of my favorite people. His name's Sonny Vinod. And each month, this man, he goes into remote parts of India. He takes a small unit of people. They travel for about two hours by car, and then sometimes they have to go on foot for another hour. Every month, there's 20 to 30 pastors and leaders who meet him at a specified place where Pastor Sonny trains these men and women from the scripture. And part of that trip each month, he is led into a remote village where they take with them a generator and a projector, and they show the Jesus film to the people of that remote village. Every time he goes, there are people who come to Christ. There are people who decide to follow Jesus. And because of the people that Pastor Sonny is training, there are people that are able to go in and pastor those people to to lead them deeply into God's word. Some people are called to go to faraway places. I have friends, Kevin and Cynthia Weldon, and they lived in the United States for most of their lives. But one year, they went on a missions trip to Nepal. And while they were there, God spoke to their hearts to begin orphanages in Nepal. Now, they came back to the United States, and it took about 18 months for Kevin's heart to get in line with what God wanted him to do. But he quit his lucrative job. They sold all their belongings, and they moved across the ocean to Nepal. At this point, they've been married for 17 years. They had no children. Two years later, they're in Nepal, and they adopted their first two children. They now have seven children, and they've opened up two orphanages. So Jesus tells us to follow him. One of the things when he tells us to go, he calls us to go and make disciples, but he also calls us 
to love people. So two things that we know that if we follow Jesus, we are called to go and make disciples, but we're also called to love people. John 13, 34, 35 says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the short and simple answer to why we're called to love one another is found in John 13, 35. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When Jesus told his disciples to love one another, he said to do this as I have loved you. And that's a tall order because Jesus used the word agape for love when issuing this command. This love is to love like God loves. So then we have to ask ourselves, well, then how does God love? Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. We are called to love people wholeheartedly, sacrificially, like God loves us. Okay, so if we're called to go make disciples and we're called to love, then who are the people that we're called to love? Some might argue that because Jesus was talking to his disciples, and said to one another that he meant that Christians are just supposed to love Christians. And others say that Christians should love Christians more than they love everybody else. But we know that we're called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, but Jesus took it even further. He was very clear about who we're to love. He said, love your He said, you've heard it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the more time we spend in God's word, the more that we will discover what God's specific calling for each of our lives would be. But we can know for sure that God does call us to go make disciples, and he does call us to love other people. But I want us to think about a few questions. And as I I ask these questions, I really want you to search your heart and ask God to help you with this answer. Have I considered the cost of following Jesus? What is Jesus telling me to leave? And turn my back on. Are there some comforts holding me back. In my walk with Christ. 
I told my wife a few weeks ago, and I didn't like to admit it, but I told her that I, I believe that I've become addicted to comfort. Because, you know, I like to be well fed, as John wanted to point out when he was asking me my weight a while ago. I like to be either warm enough or cool enough, depending on the temperature. I like to be able to have a roof over my head. I like to be able to get in a car and go where I want to go. Or any of these comforts holding me back. Now, I'm not saying that, <laughs> that we shouldn't have comforts. But is there anything in our life that is holding us back for follow, from following Christ when he says, follow me? Two or three more questions. Well, where do I tend to lean in times of trouble? Where do I put my trust? And in what do I base my future and my hope in? Oswald Chambers has a quote that says, are you faithful to Jesus or are you faithful to your ideas about Jesus? See, it's one thing for us to know about Christ. It is another thing altogether for us to know him intimately to the point where we say, I will follow him. You don't have to be qualified to be called. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul persecuted Christians. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a bit of a gossip. Martha was a warrior. Thomas, a bit of a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Moses stuttered. Zacchaeus was short. Abraham was old. Joseph was abused. Job went bankrupt. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah was very young, and Lazarus was very dead. And Matthew was a tax collector. Yet God used all these people to handle his kingdom business. Despite their faults, despite their shortcomings, God used these people. There's a story of a father who would tell his daughter constantly to remember who she is, but also to remember whose she is. And this morning, I want to give the same charge to you, Elgin Community Church. Remember who you are. More importantly, remember whose you are. You are loved by God and chosen for his purposes. You are a child of the king. You're important and your life matters. You are forgiven. 
And because of that forgiveness from Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. You are called. Called to go. Called to make disciples. Called to love. And as Jesus says to you and to me, follow me. He is waiting for your yes. So before we pray this morning, I want to ask you to search your heart. I want you to, if you will do this this morning, just to begin to ask God, is there an area in my life that you're calling me to do something and I haven't yet said yes? And I want to encourage you this morning to allow Holy Spirit to soften your heart to the place where you'll say, okay, God, I know I've been holding back. I know that you've told me to do this. I've been holding back. But today, God, I say yes. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Father, I thank you today that that your love for us is greater than we can even comprehend. I thank you today, God, that you choose us to do the work of the kingdom. Every person, God, in this congregation today, every person is created by you. And God, when you created each of us, you created each of us with purpose. You created each of us with a destiny. God, you tell us that your plans for us are good, plans to give us hope and a good future. And Lord, I know that there are people today that are hearing these words that you've been speaking to their hearts. And maybe even this morning for the first time, somebody is hearing the call to follow you. So, Lord, for those people who maybe are hearing the call to follow you for the very first time and even to trust you for forgiveness, for salvation. God, I ask that this morning their answer would be yes. And Lord, for those people this morning who are hearing this and you're speaking to their heart to do some kind of work for your kingdom, whether it be right there in the local church, in their community, in their country, or maybe another country somewhere else. God, as you call us to follow you today, we give you our yes. I thank you, God, that we don't have to know all the answers, that we don't have to be the most qualified. Because whenever you call us to do something, you equip us with what we need to do that. As long as we put our faith in you. Father, thank you for your spirit this morning, alive and at work in our hearts. And today. We say yes to your call. 
We give you thanks in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.